team, and I would love to get my name on that, but I have no sense that there's any way my name will ever show up on that trophy. But I sure will try. Oh, God is good. It's a few years back, I met with someone in our church, Roy Wetterstrom, and I was just talking to him about um, losing weight and getting in shape, and he had lost a, a, a lot of weight and had really gotten in shape, and I asked him how he did it, and he shared with me that he had a, a you know, a, an app on his phone called Lose It, and I thought, oh, that's going to be easy. No. Well, that was just, that helped him. He said really helped him to not compromise. Because the temptations to compromise when it talks, when we talk about getting in shape and, and losing weight are all around us. And so it's just little things like, it, and you still have to be accountable to it, but it makes you accountable to really eat better because you start to realize that you gotta eat chicken and fish and pork and things like that. And, and somehow chips and ice cream and other things like that just, you get, your calories just added up like in just having two chips. It was amazing. And so I started to go on that, and I couldn't believe all the opportunities to compromise, all the temptations to move away, to veer from what I had kind of, at that point, set my heart on. And, and, I, and I did that, and I've been doing that, and I keep that app on my phone, and I use it, and I go off and on, and there's times I compromise and fall out of it, and there's times that I move back into it. But one of the things I've learned is there's some ways to combat those temptations. And so as we get into this passage of Scripture... And we look at this one, God told Moses and the Hebrew people, leave Egypt, get out of Egypt and follow me, worship me. And as you worship me and as you put me first, I will lead you to a land that I promised to you and to your people. I want you not a little bit out of Egypt, I want you totally free, 100% free. And it's really interesting, up to this point in the story, Pharaoh has been quite adamant, no one's leaving Egypt. Nobody. But this time in the story, things begin to change. Three economic sanctions, plagues, if you want to put it that way, into this story. Pharaoh begins to negotiate. He thought, well, I can bargain on this one. He hopes to get Moses to compromise. It's what God um, is calling them to, which calls for a complete, full freedom in following him. It means giving all. It's what we experience in our own lives when when we hear this voice, and the, the voice of God is speaking to your heart. And if you've had that experience, it's those occasions where... You're kind of going, I remember when I first committed my life to the Lord, I, I really thought, this is what I'm, I'm going to give my heart. This isn't about being in ministry or anything, it's about just following with my whole heart. I remember voices in my head said, that's crazy. I mean, honestly, I thought I was a little bit insane. That's crazy. And that's kind of what Pharaoh was doing. That's crazy for you to think you can lead these people and go into a desert and somehow you guys are going to find a place. That's crazy talk. So with this fourth blow that we're going to look at, this sanction, this, these three sanctions moves into a different place with Pharaoh and Egypt. Pharaoh's changing his strategy a little bit here. He's trying to get Moses this time to rethink God's command. This whole 
series is about thinking again. It's about what we talk about as we come into Lent and we look at the, the life and death of Jesus Christ and his love for us. It's all about having soft hearts, not hard hearts. And, and God in his mercy comes to eat, to, to Moses and he gives Pharaoh and Egypt an opportunity for their hearts to soften. Because he, he says in the very first plague, here's why he's doing it. Exodus chapter 7, verse 16 through 17. Moses goes to Pharaoh and he reiterates the command. He says, let my people go. That's what God told him. So, so here is Moses standing before Pharaoh. But until now you have not listened, says Moses. And then he says, this is what the Lord says. By this. And he's not speaking of this specific plague. I think he's speaking of the entire thing that's going to happen. By this you will know that I am the Lord. God wanted Pharaoh and the courts of Pharaoh, the government and the people of Egypt as well, as well as Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel, all of them to know who's God and to live under his authority and his grace and his goodness. And he wants all of us Because he records in scripture, these events are recorded so that you also and I might know and the world might know that I am the Lord, as he says here. So as we go into this, the difficulty I have is I want to explain this passage, but I also want to get to some practical ways to combat um, the, the compromise that you might find in your life. So let's kind of do this. I, I'm going to go a little bit fast at times. I do that anyway, right? So, but there's three new features that you find in the second set of plagues. There's three sets of plagues, nine in all, with a with a final one coming with the firstborn being taken. So you have three sets of three. If you don't study this, you won't see this. But there's first, you'll see that in this plague itself, there's three new things that happen in a sense. There's no staff in this account. There is a distinction now that is made between the the Hebrew slaves and the people of Egypt. And this time the flies bring about a rune to the land, which is different than before. Rune is an important word, we'll get into that. So we're going to walk through Exodus 8, 20 through 32. So verses 20 and 21. And normally I have us read through the whole scripture and stand, but we're just going to go through each of these and hopefully you can get the collective story as we go. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials and on your people and on your houses and the houses of Egypt will be full of flies Even the ground will be covered with them. So this is the beginning of the second set of three plagues. The first being the Nile turning to this algae-colored blood. The next frogs coming out of all the different water streams, canals, everything. And the third being gnats coming from the dust. His total sense of, it's this whole idea that, that God controls the water, he controls the air and the ground. He is the God of all creation. And now we go to the second. So he's making this really known. And now the second of the three are flies contagious diseases on livestock and it ends with boils on all kinds of people if you note the first set of plagues every one of the first set of these three it begins in a similar way it says get up in the morning as pharaoh goes to the river 
So Pharaoh's on his way to take possibly a bath, something he might do in a morning ritual, as well as to to revere the god of the Nile, the river god Hopi, and he's going to come and and this is he's the source of life because he it, you know the Nile floods and it, it allows for crops to grow and it allows for them to become secure and wealthy and um, able to be a world power basically. And so Pharaoh's heading to the Nile, and there on his way is Moses, standing kind of like this, waiting. And you could just, if you get into Pharaoh's head, Pharaoh's going, oh, no, not again. This guy won't leave me alone. And it says, confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river. Well, we get this idea that it means he's going to be standing there going, da like this. It, it, that's not the word. The word means take up your position, it means sometimes it's even translated wait. It means to stay in this position. It's the same word that's used in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17, when you have the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel has been just wiped out by this massive Assyrian army coming down. This huge army is coming towards Judah and Jerusalem. And here's Jehoshaphat. He hears about it and he falls in knees. He cries out to the Lord. And the Lord basically says this to him. He says, Jehoshaphat, be bold. You will not have to fight. I will fight for you. Just have the army take up its position. The same word. And then he instructs them to put the worship team first. <laughs> How do you like that? Have you ever watched um, Revolutionary War films and, and, and you see the guy playing the drums and the guy with the fife? I go, that's the last guy I want to be, right? Put the worship team first. But the idea is this. He says, I just want you, Moses, like he wants every one of us, to listen to me with a soft heart, to allow me to speak to you. And when I speak to you, all I want you to do is be obedient and, and do what I've asked you to do. And you don't have to worry about making someone believe something. You don't have to worry about that. If you set a boundary, I will help you keep that boundary. Whatever it is, just take up your position and let God do the fight on your behalf. This time, there's no mention, as we keep going through this story, of a staff. The first three, it, it's like um, Moses tells Aaron to take his staff, and, and he says, strike the Nile. And then when he says, um, stretch out your staff over the, the canals and the, and the, the uh, rivers and, and ponds and other places. And then the last one, he says, strike the dust of the ground. And he tells this to Aaron. Well, this time, Aaron's not anywhere to be seen in these accounts. There's an interesting going, thing going on there. It's almost as if Pharaoh is like one of his magician advisors who conjures up what needs to happen. And now I think God is saying, you don't need Aaron. This is, you're just going to speak it and it's going to happen. What I want Pharaoh to understand is it's not like you've got some magician helper. I just want him to know that it's not about you at all. It's all about God and his power. That comes when you voice the things of God. And so he removes them and there's, there's, there's an obvious sense that this is about God's power. It's not about magic. And as you go through this story, the plague moves into these natural progressions. We've talked about this. 
as um, the floodwaters come off the mountains of Ethiopia, this time filled with a lot of algae. The algae comes into the river. The river has a uh, blood color to it where it's now not drinkable. And what happens is things in it are dying. So the frogs run out. You know, they jump out from all the different places. The frogs now um, are all over the land, right? And 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 in that, um, there are little ponds. And everywhere there are ponds, you know how mosquitoes and flies and other th- gnats or things like that, those kind of little bugs, those are breeding grounds. And so now there's this... this there's frogs, there's gnats, there's mosquitoes, and God keeps saying after each one. Now there are dead frogs everywhere. And you know when you have dead things like that, from it comes um, swarms of flies, or, or to it comes that. He says, I will send a swarm of flies. But the Hebrew actually is just the word swarm. And, and, and it's supposed in there, they know what swarm means. It doesn't, it wasn't flies, it's a swarm. And, and the swarm is a fly-like insects. All kinds of them, those who bite and those who do not bite. From ordinary house flies, to dog flies, to deer flies, to horse flies, to gad flies, to zebra flies, to giraffe flies, to elven flies, and to the dreaded whale fly. I made up a bunch of those. Anyway. <laughs> Flies are a curse. Think about it. In every tropical country, whenever there's a flood, hurricane, whatever, whenever it happens, there is filth everywhere, and there are dead carcasses, and they are magnets towards flies. And flies carry all kinds of diseases. But in that day, in that country, in Egypt, flies, some of them that bit, they bit so hard, they would be so many that they actually have recorded small animals that would die from a swarm of flies. Not bees, flies. Because of the kind of stinging power they had. What's really interesting is if you go later in the Old Testament, you'll find in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 18 that Isaiah refers to them as the Egyptian army as flies. And it's not he's saying something negative about them. If you look back into antiquity, into records of antiquity, they would often call their army like swarming flies. And I think this is really interesting as we read with, through this whole thing. Because as you read this, you find out that God is unleashing his own army of flies. He's basically saying, you want to see an army of flies that can do damage? That can elicit pain? And what's interesting here is God is moving from something that's an irritant that creates great discomfort in the first three plagues. He's now moving, just almost in a sense, he's saying, I'm declaring war. You you get the shift? You've crossed the point sanctions economically aren't going to make a dent in your heart. So Exodus chapter 8, verse 22 to 23, and here is the interesting thing that happens. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen. This is the first time in all the plagues. Because he's going to war, uh, where my people live, I will deal differently. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I am the Lord. And you will know that I, the Lord, catches him in the land. And I will make a distinction between my people and your people. The sign will occur. This sign will occur tomorrow. Because of this new transition to war, God's doing something I think really interesting. It's incredibly unique. It's the first 
case of what I call smart flies. <laughs> Seriously. He, he says, I will deal differently with the land of, of Goshen. And, and this is the first mention of Goshen in the book of Exodus, but it's not the first mention of Goshen in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 45, verse 10, um, Joseph is in Egypt. He's second in command. Some you know, years and years before that, almost from 400 years before that, here is Joseph, and he says to his people, you shall live in the region of Goshen near me. So he was living there. Goshen is a pasture land, it was. It was in the eastern part of the delta, so a rich land for growing um, uh, things that are needed for the cattle and the sheep and the things that they, as the Israelites, who were nomads, carrying, that's what they were, people of, of sheep and, and herds and things such as this. And that land was was rich and well. And my guess is that as the Hebrew slaves grew in size in, in, in this land of Goshen, also as as Egypt expanded, now Goshen's almost like a suburb, if you want to put it that way. And God was not merely in this differentiation showing preferential treatment. He's purposely showing that this blow is no accident. It's not merely a part of a natural progression. But it's God's direct judgment. I will deal differently where my people live. No swarms of fly will be there so that you will know that the Lord am in this land. He had just said in the last one, his magicians who are no longer in this one, the magicians said, hey, this is the finger of a God. And he's going, this is not just the finger of a God. This is God living right here in your midst. Take notice. And just think about it. Not one fly. I just think of the protective power of God. He has this ability to, to put this wall up in such a way that not one fly can penetrate. Not one fly can touch his people. Not one fly bit his people. In the words in verse 23, I make a distinction between my people and your people has variant readings. It can also mean deliverance or redemption, a kind of foreshadowing of what he's going to do with the firstborn, even a foreshadowing of what God is going to do with his son Jesus for all people who will trust him. And he says, I will, I will build a wall around you. I will remove your sins and make you holy unto my sight so that you can now live in my presence day in and day out. You will, you will, think about this. You will live with my presence. The atmosphere around you. So, so it's almost this picture. The atmosphere around all the people, the Hebrew slaves in the land of Goshen was without flies. There's a sense that he says, you will be so filled with me and with my spirit if you will walk in faith. The atmosphere around you will change change because of what's inside you. You're not a victim at work. You're not a victim to someone else. You are an overcomer because of what God has done. He's made a distinction if you've trusted in Jesus. And he gives you his spirit to live out that spirit so that in that sense, his voice, as he calls you and you just take your position, he speaks. And the enemy shudders. And it doesn't mean they run away right away, because that doesn't happen. Even Pharaoh didn't run away right away, but he's building your faith, so stay with it. For he will speak to you, and the enemy will scatter. And so, I have a little note in here, and I'll make it quick. For those who aren't into eschatology, which just means end times, 
this is where, if you have heard of tribulation, the tribulation of seven years, this is where many people who, you know, you have pre-tribs that say that the people of God will be not touched and, and will be made different. They'll be saved from all the, 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 the warfare and anger and wrath of God before the seven years begin. Some say, yes, we're going to go through it. There's a group called the mid-tribs. This is what they base it on. Into the third plague, which is just the natural kind of economic sanctions. Now it's war. And when God creates, when, when war happens and he comes with wrath, he then takes his people out. Just an aside. Okay, Exodus 8.24. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies. Or if you want to put it, dense swarms of biting and non-biting little black insects poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials throughout Egypt, and the land was ruined by the flies. I'll make this quick. Ruined. He moves from intensity, from annoyance, irritation, to extreme discomfort. Now he's bringing about devastation and destruction. This word is used in Genesis 6 about the moral corruption that is found in the world before the flood. It's used in Genesis 9, I think it's verse 14 or 4, something like that, um, where it talks about um, the destruction of the land after the flood. So he's saying these flies will have that kind of devastation. And the word ruin has within it the root destroyer. Which is the same word when you get to Exodus chapter 12, verse 23, when it says that God will send his destroyer who will, who will kill the firstborn and, and devastate the land. It's all preview in this of what's to come. Because this blow causes ruin. Nothing has been like it before. God continues to warn, his mercy always precedes judgment. And I just want to say, if you know that you're living out of sorts with God and you are living in ways that are displeasing to God, he is so merciful. He will wait and he will make, he will speak even like this and he will give you chances, but eventually your heart will harden and you will run into the consequence of that very sin. And if it is that you've never opened your heart to God, he says the devastation is this. You will live your life hardened in your heart and eventually so hardened that God's presence can't even come into it. That's hell. Apart from God forever. And, and, and some people have said, if, if that's what you want, why would you complain if you can't go there? Right? You can't go to heaven. Anyway, um, we keep continue on. Exodus 25 through 27. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and he said, Go sacrifice to your gods here in the land. Um, but Moses said that would not be right. The sacrifice we offer the Lord our God would be detestable or an abomination is this the idea in, to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? Come on, Pharaoh. We must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifice to the Lord our God as he commands us. This is his command. And so here's the first time you see Pharaoh beginning to negotiate. And I love Moses. He doesn't kind of 
come back. He just cleverly responds in the same way. Hey, it won't work, Pharaoh. You know, I know that you're trying. It just, it won't work. The animals we sacrifice would be an abomination and, and they'll end up just stoning us. It would be like killing a pig in a Muslim mosque or slaughtering a cow in a Hindu temple. Racial riots would break out. And you know what? Back in the 5th century in a, in a, a document called the Elphatine Papyri, there was a, there's an account of exactly what happened. It says in the 5th century, the historical record of a massacre of Jews at the hands of the Egyptians for the very reason they were sacrificing animals that they and the country revered. And so he says, yeah, no, don't do it. So Exodus chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. So the first compromise he combats. The second one, it says, Pharaoh said, I will let you go um, to offer sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. But here's this. But you must not go very far. And now he just quickly says, now pray for me. And Moses answered, as soon as I leave you, I'll pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer the sacrifices to the Lord. And so here's this negotiations again. It's the second time he's making an offer, bargaining with him, seeking to get Moses to compromise. You know, just go not, not too far, just across the border. You can be a little free, but not not fully free. Close enough that you still know your mind. And I think it's interesting that Moses really doesn't even answer him. Moses is aware of his character and the hardening of his heart. And he realizes what God is doing and how Pharaoh continues to put himself into a place of complete judgment. And he does warn him again. Isn't it interesting? He warns him again. But he does this thing because it just doesn't make sense. Because grace and mercy doesn't make sense. You would think he would go, I'm not praying for you. Are you crazy? Look at your hearts. You know, he doesn't. He says, I will. I'll pray and they'll be gone. Just don't do this again. You ever done that as a parent? I, my dad did it. You know, okay, guys. Okay, boys. We are two years apart. I'm going to, this time, you know what? You, da, 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 and, but, don't do, but don't do this again. Because God is an incredibly loving father, the most perfect father in all his mercy. And so he negotiates again. Pray for me. There's no repentance. Moses is aware of that. He's not naive and he's familiar with his character and he adds a warning, only don't deceive again. And then Exodus 8, 30 through 32. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord and the Lord did what Moses asked and the flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people and not a fly remained. That's, that's a miracle. You pray and it happens. But this time... Also, Pharaoh hardened his heart. See, all the, all the times, also, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. So I want to talk a little bit about compromise and what does it mean in your life. God has, through Jesus Christ, given everyone an opportunity to know him, to walk with him, and to, to experience his grace and his goodness. He wants you and me to live in the freedom of his truth. He wants you and me to live in the joy of the grace that he has for us, his mercy. Even when we sin, there has been, through the cross of Christ, one who has removed our sin. So when we sin, it's not that we beat ourselves up. Lent is not a process of beating ourselves up. Lent is a process of saying, God, make my heart really soft to you. I will do whatever you ask me to do. I 
I love your mercy. I love this truth that your love for me is not based on what I love for you. Your love for me is based on your love for me. And because of that, I want to give my love 100% fully to you. And he also knows this. If you really want to be free from the deceitful desires of your own heart, which create all the difficulties in your own life and in your marriage or in your family or in your work situation, I don't care where it is. If you want to be freed from sin... You can't just have a little bit of freedom. You got to want it all. That means you you, you want to say, God, I'm going to follow you with my whole heart, as crazy as it may seem. I am receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means his life pays for my sins so that my life can begin to help other people know the love and presence of God, that I, because I've been blessed, will be a blessing to others. And I want to do this without compromise. So how is it? When you look at this, it's so interesting. There's three potential compromises that will that, that Satan will use, that, that we will be deceived by, that will cause us to become prisoners of our fears, prisoners to our sin, prisoners to that, which is less than God desires for us. Are you tracking with me on that? Okay. So the proposals that Pharaoh offers are no different than the temptations we face today when it comes to following Jesus. These are very relevant. Pharaoh offers some common compromises, and God, in his word, gives us ways to combat that. So here they are. The first is this. One of the compromises he comes to people with is that they will straddle the fence. And what he says is, quit straddling the fence. Decide now. Think about it a second. In your own personal life, if God has been prompting you to move forward in an area, and maybe he's been prompting you for some time to get involved in a small group where your life is accountable, or you have been given a gift from God and he's been calling you into greater freedom, the the gift, although you may be afraid to commit time or to use it, you may be feeling fear there, but the gift will bring much greater freedom. I mean, it can be in all kinds of areas. It's, it's where you have an area of your life. Maybe God has been speaking to you about your finances. And you know you need to get it in order. And, and you've been thinking a lot about it. And you've been talking about it. But today's the day to decide. That's how you combat it. Straddling the fence is really super easy. I mean, all you have to do is what he says here. He says in Exodus chapter 8, verse 25, You sacrifice your God here in the land. It's really going to be easy. You don't have to go anywhere. All this three-day journey. You don't want to be in a desert. You don't want the discipline and all the stuff it needs it takes to get there, to get to your freedom. Just straddle the fence. With your life, just straddle the fence. Think about it. Talk about it. Read about it. But today, if you want to combat it, decide. It may be in the sense of straddling the fence. You may have grown up in the church and, 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 and you go to church and, and you, you give some money and you serve a little bit here and, and, and you have a, a, a form of a Christian testimony, but you have never, ever opened your heart and recognized that you really are a sinner and you need Jesus more than you know. And, and you kind of go, but God, I don't want you to spoil my fun. I want to do this. I want to do that. And you, you, you put all these things out there, but you straddle, you know you're straddling the fence. And he's saying, today is the day. 
Decide. Just say and confess, God, forgive me for holding back and forgive me for not recognizing how much I need you. Forgive me. And thank you that you have. I invite you into my life as my Savior and I invite you to be my life leader. I don't know what God might be calling you to, but complete freedom and fulfillment comes when you give yourself to the Lord. Think think about this. It's so easy to straddle the fence, but it's the worst place to be. You will live bored and bound. You will live not fully ever getting what your heart wants, because you can never get that, but it'll even be worse because you'll see what could be. Moses knew that God didn't just want a little bit of freedom, but he wanted complete freedom. The reason he combated this is because he already had made up his mind. And the Hebrew slaves would never know the extent of God's power and the depths of his love if they had bought into that compromise. They needed to see God split a sea and drown an army of Egyptians. You will never know the depths of God's love. You will never see the extent of his power in your life. And I just challenge you, decide today. Don't miss out on so much of what God wants you to experience. The, the second one is, is this. Um, if it means quit straddling the fence and decide, the, the second one is get rid of your plan B. The only way is the way of Jesus. And in this one, if we look at this, it's about distance. So if one is about deciding, this one is about distance. Pharaoh gives a second offer and he slyly says, you don't need to fully commit. Always have plan B ready just in case. Look at verse 28 in, in, in this passage. He says, I will not let you off. I, I will let you go and offer sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. But, but you don't need to go that far. Leave your options open. Make sure you have an escape route. And, and Moses doesn't even answer this one because he made the choice long, years ago there was going to be no plan B. His heart would go after what God's heart had placed in him. And he was going to do it with his whole being. I remember when someone, when I was in those years, when I was in that process of deciding about marriage and it was my marriage and talking about, you know, is grace the right one and praying through all that stuff. I met with a person who, who um, was really wise and, and they just said to me, you know what, if you're considering marriage, just, here's one of my recommendations. There's only plan A. I know, what in the world is that about? And he, I, I asked him, what do you mean? Because I was curious. And he said, well, if you're going to get married to grace, it means... When you run into problem, there's no plan B. That means committing yourself to one another, not entertaining other people or thoughts that may, could be another relationship when you're in a relationship that could be better. It means do not making emotional connections with other people that could have an impact on your own marriage. It means being really upfront, and it means doing what it needs to be done. If it means that you need to go into counseling, you go into counseling. If it means you go to workshop, marriage workshops, you do whatever you can. There's only plan A. And here's the thing about plan B. Here is the temptation. Moses was quite aware that 
A little ways away would never be far enough away because when the going got tough, the people would begin to start saying, boy, you remember when we were back in Egypt and we were slaves, how good it was. Oh, leeks and onions and garlic breath. He knew a little distance wasn't enough distance. And so I ask you, you may not be in a decide state. You may be in a place where you've got to look at your life and say, do I need some distance from this that compromises my life? I've had opportunities, Grace and I have, if we start watching a TV show, and we may be about four or five into it, and it's really good and compelling, and we both kind of had, it's so funny, we both in our own hearts have gone, you know what, we can't watch this. We've got to put distance from ourselves from that, because that's just not good. I remember reading a very popular book, and I, I, I don't, I, I'm not even saying what it was, but it, it was really, in one sense, not anything wrong, but I was reading this, and, and I remember I was about halfway through it, very entertaining, and, and the Lord said to me, so this is the thing you need to pay attention about, because what the Lord says to me may not be what he's saying to you, but if you want to have a soft heart, you better start listening to what he's saying to you. I remember the Lord saying, Kevin, I don't want you to read that. I don't know what the distance is. It may be that you have some relationships with some friends that when you're with them, you know they just drag you away from your faith in Christ. God wants those friends to know Jesus, but you may not be in the place yet. Or the things that you agree to do with them may not be the place. What is it that God is saying put some distance between you if you want true freedom? And the last thing is this. Don't hold back anything. It's all in. If, if, if it's decide and it's distance, this is all about devotion. Devotion is about 100% commitment. All in. And this offer doesn't come in this passage, but if you just go through a little bit, and we will look at this in the future, but if you look at Exodus chapter 10, verses 8 through 11... And I'll kind of sum it up. After the plague of locusts, it's the eighth plague. Pharaoh once again comes to him and says, go and worship your God. And then he asks, but who's going with you? And, and Moses says, everyone, young and old, daughters, sons, flocks, herds. And Pharaoh says, no, no, only the men. Not, not all in. Just the men. And then plague number nine comes along, verse 26 of chapter 10, and it's the plague of darkness spreads over the whole area, and it's, it's a, and we're gonna, and Peter Castor is gonna speak in this passage in a few weeks. It's a darkness that can be felt. That's an, and I don't think about it. Anyway, he says, go worship and offer sacrifices, take your families, but here's this one, but leave your flocks and herds. And I love Moses' response. Our livestock must go with us, not a hoof is to be left behind. Not a hoof. Everything committed to him. I'm going to ask the worship team, and we're going to close. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want us just to take a moment to, to just let God speak to our hearts. One of the reasons God made a distinction is because he was showing the world that, that he loves his people and those who follow him. doesn't mean that you'll be saved from all suffering. It means that he will save you always, even through it. And not only that, 
as you go through it, in some cases, you will be a proof of his love. You are to be a blessing because you've been blessed. We're going to be asking people as we move into this spring, and we've been talking about how God's working. I honestly think about it, folks. What might be going on right now might be setting up people around you to hear the gospel, might be setting up people around you to have an encounter with God, and he's asking you to pray and to listen and to be a proof of his love. If you guys want to play behind me, I'd really appreciate that. And I just want you to just think for a moment. I, I threw a lot at you. What do you need to combat in order that you will not be in a place of compromise so that you can be used fully, 100% for God and enjoy His full freedom? what that is, but I'm asking for you to pray about it. For some of you, I'm going to ask you to do something even more. I'm going to ask you to make a decision today and no longer talk about it. I don't know what it is that he's talking to. It could be finances. It could be engagement in relationships with others. I don't know, but what God is calling, it could be that this is the day of your salvation. And today, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I thank you for the forgiveness you've offered of sin, and I commit myself to you as Savior and my life leader. If that's your heart and your prayer, I I ask you to make that decision right now in prayer. That simple prayer of forgiveness and commitment. Father, I'm asking that you would make us a body in this area that would be a proof of your love. 